0: Scripture reading today comes from the book of Daniel, chapter 11, verses 29 through 35. At the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before. For ships of Ketim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the holy covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the holy covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress, and shall take away the regular burnt offering, and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days, they shall stumble by sword and, fam- and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help. <laughs> oh, sorry, I forgot my reading glasses, so I'm, I'm struggling. <laughs> Just aged myself up. OK. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help. <laughs> And many shall join themselves to them with flattery, and some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white, until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. The word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Davis. That's a hard passage to forget your reading glasses on, because you're like, am I reading the right thing here? And you were. Thank you. After some of the plans that came out of our leadership retreat last weekend, when our elders, deacons, our diaconate, and our staff met, and a few other things that happened that were out of our control, we had a guest speaker planned for this week, Brett McCracken, who was going to kick off what we're calling the Wisdom Initiative. He'd been in close contact with some people who were positive for COVID, so we've postponed his speaking for a few weeks from now. After all that happened, our leadership decided to change the way, as I said, that we're doing fall kickoff. So it's more of a fall kickoff month than just one Sunday. But what it also does, is it gives us the opportunity to share two key messages that we shared at our leadership retreat this past weekend. And these, these messages, this time of, of teaching, this time in Scripture, as we left that retreat, we realized these are two things that will become foundational pieces for our church, especially as we move ahead into this fall. So today I'm going to share one of those messages, and next week uh, Darian Lockett is going to share the next. So where did this passage come from? that we just heard. Last fall, we studied the book of Daniel as a church. Some of you, many of you were with us for that. Some of you weren't. But if you remember what was going on last fall, we were living right in the middle of the pandemic and things were getting worse. As a church, we had plans to reopen worship. We were hoping to reopen in July. We were moving forward. But obviously, that was postponed (laughs) for a year We were living in an extremely tense and divisive and difficult political and cultural moment. It was the election season. The book of Daniel is perfectly tailored for times like this. That's why we studied it. It's a book that was written by an exile for other people living in exile. For Daniel and the Jewish people in the 500s B.C., what it meant for them was that they were removed from their homeland, Jerusalem, and they were forcibly taken to the kingdom of Babylon. So everything they knew was gone, had changed the very heart and center of their faith. Everything that provided them with spiritual structure was gone and had changed. And that is why it spoke so much to our situation because times of exile are times when all that's normal to us has changed. What we rely on for spiritual structure and strength and regularity is gone. When political and cultural pressures are coming at you from all over the place and you're struggling to get your bearings, that's exile. That was what exile was like for Daniel. And in these times... The question that Daniel was written to answer is how do you stand firm and remain firm in your convictions and remain true to the purpose, the mission that you've been given to, it's been given to you by God. That's what Daniel's all about. But here we are, it's 2021, now that everything is back to normal and all the political and cultural tensions and divisions, they've been solved. Over this past year, we are in a time of peace and predictability. Okay, right? <laughs> not, not yet, right? Not quite. I say that very tongue-in-cheek. So in the series last fall, we looked at Daniel 1 through 9, and it spoke very directly to us, but because of the timing of Advent, I preached only up to Daniel chapter 9, and Daniel has 10, 11, and 12 chapters, but nobody asked me about it and said, Can you please teach us about Daniel 10, 11, and 12? And after, where's Davis? (laughs) After Davis read that text, you might be thinking, okay, I don't know what's going on in that text, so I don't know how that can help us. But it bothered me because it wasn't a complete set. I like to complete the set when we do a series through a book. I don't like to skip passages and leave things out. When I was a kid, I uh, collected a particular baseball card set, 1990 score baseball cards, and I just collected them through uh, buying the packs and putting them all in order, and I was missing one card from that set. After all that, all that money I spent everything, I'm still missing that one card, and it bothers me. But you know, toward the end of the summer, as we were thinking about the falls, we were thinking about where are we as a church, where are we headed, Thinking about those kinds of questions, kind of out of the blue, all of a sudden, Daniel 10 through 12 came to me, especially this passage, and I felt like God had put it on my heart to share with our leaders, and now to share with all of you. Here's why. These final chapters, 10 through 12 in Daniel, they teach us how to stand firm and take action The right action in crises and confusion. That's what these last few chapters teach us. Especially in times when you are still in exile, but you thought it would be over. When you thought exile was over, but it's not. It's still there. That's what's being offered us in this text. When you're in that season, when you're in that experience, you can stand firm and you can take action. But we have to know a few things. So if you're looking at the outline or if you, you're taking notes, these are the three things we're going to look at. Three things that happen during times of uncertainty and change. We're going to focus in on this passage, this is a little bit strange passage that we just heard read. We are also going to move a little bit around these three chapters to get a sense of the context. So if you have your Bible, you can open it up and I'll point out a few things in the context. But these are the three things we're going to look at. Questions. Some core questions rise to the surface when we're in periods of uncertainty and extended chaos and confusion. Certain casualties happen. Some things die. And certain clarity emerges. Some things, the most important things, can, by God's grace, become very clear. So we're going to wind around a little bit, the book of Daniel and this passage. But where I hope to leave you is landing in a place of great clarity. So let's see what happens. Let's do this. First, questions. In times of uncertainty and change, certain questions rise to the surface. It's almost like we can't help it. These questions come out. Certain basic questions that in times of relative stability And predictability and normalcy we take for granted, or they don't cause us the same amount of stress and anxiety. These questions are, and we'll put them up on the screen, where are we? What's going to happen, and what should I do? Or in the case of a church, what should we do? At our retreat last weekend, these were the three questions we prayed over, we discussed, and we talked about for our church This passage helps us answer these three questions that, for me personally, have never been harder to answer at some level for myself and definitely for a church, for our church. First, where are we? Okay, here's where you can look at your Bible. If you look at chapter 10, this is the broader context. It begins, this whole section, it's really one unit. It begins in chapter 10, verse 1, and it says... The third year of Cyrus. And so we could just blow right by that, whatever, what's going on with that third year of Cyrus. But here's what we need to know the first year of Cyrus is one of the most important years in all the Bible. The first year of Cyrus. The first year of Cyrus was when this Persian king said, All you people who are in exile, all that you had and all that you lost that was normal your temple, your sacrifices, your land, your homeland, you can go back. You can return. And for the Jewish people, when they lived in the first year of Cyrus, that brought them great excitement and encouragement. The exile is ending. That's what happened in the first year of Cyrus. But after three years... Things were not going as they had hoped. The temple project, rebuilding it, was faltering. People were not devoted to the work. There was all kinds of unexpected opposition to them just settling and regaining their normalcy. And their structures of worship. People were compromising. They were laying aside the work. And the community was very divided and discouraged. This is what was happening in the third year of Cyrus. And so Daniel and the people were thinking, I thought we were going to go back to normal. I thought even maybe it was a time of great revival and rejuvenation. I thought we were reopening worship with the temple. It's not what we thought it would be. And Daniel knew about this, and he was wrestling before God saying, I've given my life to this. I've waited for this moment. It's not how I thought it would be. Here in the third year of Cyrus, what did he do? It tells us in Daniel chapter 11, he mourned and he fasted for three weeks. That's actually in chapter 10, verse 2. He was wrestling with this question before God. Where are we, God? Are we in exile or are we not? Are we back to normal or are we not? And for us, I think we can all relate to this. As we've lived through the pandemic, as we've lived through all the upheaval surrounding us, we've all longed for a return to normal. When are we going to reopen worship? When are things going to restart for church and for life all around us? But as we're here, here in the fall of 2021, many of us, you know, we're still wearing masks in worship, we're still live streaming probably every single one of us, whether it's school or work or family connections are still being impacted by the pandemic and for many of us by some of the divisions, some of the disagreements and conflicts that are just swirling all around us. So we're right there with Daniel. It's like the third year of Cyrus where we're going, God, I thought we were going back to normal. Are we ever going to get there? Where are we? We're still dealing with the reality of the virus. There's still divisions. There's still tensions. So much is disrupted. All this uncertainty and challenge, what we read in these chapters, they really affected Daniel. If you know a little bit about Daniel, you know he was a person of solid faith, one of the most solid heroes in all of the Bible. He could stand up to the most powerful person in the world and say, Uh, You are not God, and you need to know it. And he did that to Nebuchadnezzar. He also stood firm in his convictions in the face of death, and he was thrown into the lion's den. But when things were not where he thought they would be and the difficulty continued and extended, he really struggled. And in chapter 11, if you want to look there with me, if you have your Bibles, he tells us, and I'll read it out there for you who don't have it in front of you. He says he was mourning over this. For three weeks, he fasted. He didn't eat meat. He didn't drink wine. He didn't cleanse himself. He was just in a state of mourning. In verse 8, he says, even when God gave me some greater insight into what was happening, I felt all alone. I had no strength. In verse 16, he says, in my anguish, I was overwhelmed because I didn't understand what was happening. Most of this was after God had met him and given him this vision that is strange to us but had given him insight into where he was. So I want to I just pause there for a moment and speak to all of you here, my church family, those of you who are watching online. As we struggle to get a handle on this question. Where are we? It's not where we had hoped maybe it would be. It's not back to normal. I want you to know, one, you're not alone if you're struggling, if you're still carrying anxiety, if you feel some of what Daniel feels here, anguish, you're overwhelmed, you're powerless, you're weak. Daniel said he was all of those things, and we need to know that our faith doesn't make us immune to those struggles, to emotional distress and anxiety in times of uncertainty and change. It happened with Daniel. And it can happen to any of us. But I want you to know is that God hears and draws near to us. When we come with our weakness, when we're overwhelmed and we come to him, if your trust is in Jesus, then here is what is given to you in this text. Daniel said, I'm weak, I'm I'm overwhelmed, I'm powerless. I don't know what is going on. And two times, in this text, Daniel is told, Daniel, you're a mess, you're a wreck, but you are treasured by God. Daniel, you are loved by God. In verse 11 and in verse 19, this angel that appeared to Daniel, there's really nothing, I don't know any other place like this in, in, in the Bible, maybe... Um, Maybe Mary, when the angel appears and says, you are the blessed one, here a messenger from God comes and says, Daniel, you're a mess. I know you don't understand what's going on. This isn't your greatest moment, but you are loved by God and you are treasured by God. I'm assuming many of you here maybe feel overwhelmed and powerless. And even if you can't get a grip on where you are, you are treasured by God. You are loved by God. And he hears even the weakest prayers. I want you to be encouraged with that. Where are we? Where are we headed is the next question. In times of certainty, uncertainty and change, we ask, where are things headed? What is the future going to be like? When things are calm and stable, we think about the future, but we don't worry as much about the future, but when there's chaos, we feel like we need to know what is gonna happen. I need to know this. And if I don't, I feel very anxious and fearful. For me, ever since COVID started, I started checking the news, check all the local newspapers and a few national newspapers, and I found myself not stopping. Before that, honestly, I never read the news. (laughs) I got my current events from other different places. I said I don't need that. But now every day I'm finding myself, why am I looking at the LA Times, the OC Register, you know, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, just trying to do the rounds. Why? And I realize it's because of this question, where are we headed? For my life, for our church, what's going to happen? Where is COVID? What's the next crisis? In my heart, I'm going, where are we headed? And I know there's a lot of anxiety and fear there. Maybe you're like me. God decided to answer this question for Daniel in a very dramatic, in a very unusual way. Okay, this is where we're going to look at this text. It gets very strange. It gets a little bit difficult. There's nothing else like this in the Bible. All the commentators I read said, this is a very unique part of the Bible, because it's so specific. Chapter 11, we just landed and we just started right there, and these are very specific prophecies that follow the history of what will happen after Daniel, seems all the way to the end of history. I won't interpret all of this, because honestly, I cannot. I need to study, like, a couple more months to be able to interpret all of this. And the truth is, not everybody knows what's happening, but we do know something this is where things were headed for Daniel. This is the future. This is what lied ahead for the people of God. There's a lot of talk here about the kings of the north and the kings of the south. We know those were the the Ptolemy and the Seleucid empires from Egypt and Syria. And Israel was right in the middle of those two countries. And it leads all the way up to this passage, a ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes, a Greek ruler who more than any other ruler probably targeted specifically the faith of the Jewish people. And in their most intense persecution since the exile, tried to wipe out everything that the Jewish people held dear, their temple, their sacrifices, and everything. This is what it's talking about here in chapter 11, when it says, verse 31, these forces from him shall appear, profane the temple and the fortress, and take away the burnt offering, and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. A little bit strange language, but all that is saying is there will be a ruler who comes will try to take everything out. He will try to wipe away your faith. Where are we headed, God? Well, the answer that God gave Daniel was not the one he wanted to hear. When we've gone through hard times, what we want to hear is it's going to get better. And it's just right around the corner. But here God said, you're headed for challenges, some that will be even harder than the ones that you have already faced. How does this help? God was very specific with Daniel. Very specific. And the readers who would come after him, who would live through these challenges, why? And I think this is really important for us. The answer, I think, is this. No matter how the hard the challenges get, no matter what they are, even when things seem at their worst, God is saying, I am still in control. I am still at work. The things you face will be bigger than you, but they are not bigger than me. You will feel like you are caught in the crosshairs, the north and the south for Daniel. We could say the right and the left or pick the crosshairs that you want. Forces that are bigger than us, forces that feel bigger than maybe our faith. And God says, these things are not bigger than me. I am over them. I am in control and I am at work. There's a repeated phrase, In this text, the time appointed. You can underline that in verse 29. And there it is again in verse 35. Until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. This phrase should give us a lot of comfort. Because if there's an appointment, that means somebody sets that appointment, and somebody can end that appointment. I was doing a quick search and realized the word time appears in Daniel more than any other book except Jeremiah. Genesis is also close. Jeremiah has 50 chapters. Genesis has 50 chapters. Daniel has 12. What's the point? All of time is in the hands of God. No matter what time it is, he is in control. And he is at work. He was very specifically saying that to the people who lived through the events described in the book of Daniel. No matter where things are headed for you or for the church, God is saying, I am in control. I am at work. One of the ways that we can remember this, when we're wondering where are we headed, is actually to look back. We did this at our leadership retreat, and I just wanted to share a few things that encouraged us. Before we talked about where is God taking us as a church, we look back and we ask the question, where has God been at work as we've lived through such an incredibly challenging time? And at the retreat, we just said, what has God done? And there were so many things that we wrote down on our notes. For example, Our stream team, who's up in the booth today, give it up for the stream team again. Somehow we figured out how to do online worship. We worshiped without gathering for over a year. We had our worship team, who was producing some incredibly amazing quality music for all of us to continue to worship and sing. Our women's Bible study had more women studying the Bible than ever. Our staff said they felt more connected than ever. Somehow our community groups met through a pandemic. We had financial stability. We continue to be a community of warmth and welcome. Our youth ministry survived and in some ways uh, thrived in the pandemic. We have our first ever diaconate that was ordained and appointed during the pandemic. And we have folks who found us online and who are now, some of you, are here with us. That's just a little bit of the list that reminded us Even over the past year and a half, God is at work. God's at work, no matter what time it is. And it can be helpful to do that, to remember. Wherever we're headed, God is at work. Where are we? First question, we are in exile when we thought we'd be out. It's not normal yet. It can be very difficult. But God draws near to us in these times. Where are we headed? At this time next year, what will it be like? We don't know. But we know that time is in the hands of God. Third question, but what do we do? At some point, you got to do something. No matter how chaotic and uncertain life is, you have to act in some way as an individual, as a family, and as a church. There are two main directions I've heard from church leaders as we've been processing this as I've talked to other pastors, one of the directions says, you know, at this time, well, what we need to do is make sure we're standing firm, remembering God is in control. Let's hang tight. Let's hold on. Let's stand firm. We can ride this out. Wait till things return to normal. Stand firm in all the challenges and in the craziness around us. Hold tight to our beliefs and convictions. The other direction I've heard is take action. Now's the time to act and be creative, never waste a crisis, move out in mission, in bold faith. I want you to look at Daniel 11, verse 32. And I want you to underline it, circle it, whatever you need to do, highlight it, cut it out, and put it up on your fridge. Daniel eleven thirty-two 32 says both are right. There are places where we need to stand firm. There are things that don't change no matter what's going on all around us, there are ways we need to dig deeper and stay rooted. And there are also ways we need to take action. We need to respond, that we need to be faithful to the purpose and mission God has given to us. Daniel 11.32 says, this is the answer to the question, what do we do in times of chaos and change and uncertainty? We need to stand firm and take action. But... Only a certain kind of people can do both, can have the wisdom to know when, where, and how to stand firm, to know when, where, and how to take action, and to help others find wisdom to do so. Only a certain kind of people will have the resources to do this. It's the people who know their God. You can double underline that. There is a crucial sequence here. This passage tells us that even when things are chaotic and uncertain, we can have great stability and stand firm. We can have great purpose. But only when we honor the crucial sequence the people who know their God. Even when faced, as verse 33 says, with sword, flame, captivity, and plunder, you can stand firm, you can have purpose but only when the crucial sequence is followed because in times of uncertainty and change, there are also casualties. I want to talk again directly to our church family, to my Christian friends here and online. There are two types of people in this passage. There are those who in times like this, their faith is refined. We see that in verse 35. They're more pure. They're less mixed. Their faith is revealed to be genuine. And there are those whose faith dies. It is revealed not to be a genuine faith. They are described in this text. In verse 32, all these forces will seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. One group of people in times of uncertainty and change is refined. Another, their faith is challenged so much that it withers and dies. In times of uncertainty and change and chaos, there is a kind of faith that offers us stability and purpose. But almost always, there are three kinds of faith that die. As hard as it was the past year and a half, Very hard. Personally, I believe now will be an even greater test of our faith in these three areas. And I'd like to share those with you first. This kind of faith dies in times of crisis and uncertainty, a superficial faith. There is a difference between knowing someone and knowing about someone. Growing up, My hero in life was the second baseman for the Chicago Cubs, Ryan Sandberg. I had like five posters of him in my room. I had every baseball card made of him. I wanted to be him. I wanted to be the second baseman for the Chicago Cubs. I knew his stats like inside and out. And if I would have met him, I would have just ran up to him and said, Ryan. Let's talk about 1984 and the MVP year you had. Remember, you had 19 triples that year. And he'd be like, what? Maybe he was nice, I don't know. But he might have said, who are you? I don't know you, but I know all about you. There's a big difference, right? Superficial faith, it doesn't look like we might think it does. In his book, some of you have read this book, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. You should read it. Fantastic book. He has a chapter on Daniel. He has a chapter on Daniel 11.32 where he makes a point that I've remembered since I read it 20 years ago. I'll never forget it. There is a vast difference between knowing about God and knowing God. The people who know about God, that kind of faith won't survive in times of uncertainty and chaos. There's another kind of faith that won't survive. It's a consumerist faith. A faith that treats Jesus and church as a product consumer. If I'm not getting what I want or expect out of this, I'll move on. I'll try another product. I'll go to a different restaurant or store that meets my needs better. I'll try a different brand. Underneath the consumerist faith is the question, what can I get out of this? The language used here in Daniel to describe faith in verse 30 and verse 32, is the language of covenant. Covenant is the exact polar opposite of consumerism. It's the language of relational commitment. The Bible teaches us that God won't be used as a product. He is the God of the universe. What he wants to give us and do in us cannot be received in a consumer relationship, but only in covenant relationships. In God's community, the covenant community, we use the word church for the covenant community, won't provide you what you need if you use it as a consumer. The people who know about God, that faith won't survive. The people who use God, their faith won't survive. In times of crisis and chaos, a third kind of faith will die. That's an individualistic faith. Notice it says the people who know their God not the person who knows his or her God. In the Bible, we know God as a people, as a corporate people, a community. Our faith is deeply personal. We know God deeply personally. That's what knowing God means. But our knowing of God is not private. We cannot know God alone. We need each other to stand firm and take action. The person who tries to know their God alone, that faith can't survive. All three of these types of faith can survive when things are relatively normal and stable, but in times of uncertainty and challenge and chaos, these three types of faith can't survive. So in the times that we're in as a pastor, as our leadership, as a church, when these kinds of faith die, it can be hard and disorienting to see it all around us, to be struggling ourselves with these things, but it is not a bad thing. It can be the best thing. If these kinds of faith die, a new and deeper and genuine faith can come to life. My final point here, clarity. Crises and uncertainty, chaos, they have a way of making some things very clear for us. First thing, we'll put up the slide. In times of uncertainty and change, we get clarity on what kind of faith we have. In verse 35, Daniel says some people's faith is refined, purified, and made white. Refining is the process of purifying something, removing all that is mixed in there with it. Almost always by fire, the fire separates that which is real and pure from that which is not real and impure so that the final product is more beautiful, solid, refined, and genuine. To know how pure it is, it has to go through the refining process. In times when things are so uncertain and changing and it feels like the future is unclear, questions we're asking as a church, where are we really? Where are we headed? What should we do? We work on plans and we are working on plans to stand firm, to stay rooted in our faith, to find practices and rhythms that will help us do that, to be people of wisdom, to help other people find wisdom, the wisdom initiative, et cetera. We're working on ways to take action to serve our community. We have Care Portal. We have our compassion ministry, ways that we can serve each other. But one thing, next slide. Next slide. One thing can become very, very, very clear to us that we can't do any of these things if we forget the crucial sequence. Let's move forward to the next slide. In times of uncertainty and change, we get clarity on what comes first. And this is where I want to land this message that there is a crucial sequence. Some of you are really good at putting stuff together. Like when you go to Ikea, you don't need the instruction booklet. You're like, forget that. I need to do this on my side. I know how to do an Ikea thing. But for me, I've learned my lesson because a number of times, something's done backwards. It's facing the wrong way, and the whole thing is built. And I have to start over from the very beginning (laughs) and follow one, two, three. This is the moment we are at. As a church, I believe, not not just our church, but church big C, this is a moment when we can become very, very clear on what comes first. We need to stand firm. Will we be able to stand firm in in our changing times? There's a lot of confusion. We don't know the future. Will we be able to find wisdom and insight and not be swayed by the chaos, the questions and the uncertainty all around us? It's not the people who know all the answers. It's not the people who know the future. It's not the people who know always exactly what to do. It's not the people who never stumble. It's not the people who have the power or the political influence. It is the people who know their God who will stand firm. Will we be able to take action to know what to do and not to do? Will we be able to know what we just need to recover and hold tight to, and what we need to reinvent as a church. Well, we have the strength to do our part, to take action as an individual and contribute. Well, it's not the people who have all the answers. It's not the people who have the strength in themselves. It's not the people who have the political power. It's not the people who never stumble, who will be able to take action. It is the people who know their God. I shared with our leaders, and now I'm sharing with you, and they agreed with me. We are open. I am open to so much of what God might do in our church and through our church in this season. But I'm not open, and neither are they, to forgetting the crucial sequence. This is a moment for us to put first things first, to be the people who know our God. This is the very heart and center of the Christian faith. Jesus said in his final prayer for us this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. This was the work given to Jesus to do on our behalf. That we might know God. That we might be the people who know our God. In the next few weeks, we'll be pursuing these things together. We'll be changing some of the way we do our leadership meetings to give priority to knowing God together. We'll be changing some of the ways we pour into those of you who are in leadership, especially our community groups, so we become more and more the people who know our God. And in so doing, we'll also be calling you out of a consumerist approach to your faith and asking you to consider how can you lean in to this church as your covenant community, each of you to serve for the sake of your own refining in your faith, for the sake of the strength of this community. And we'll be seeking not to be individual persons who know our God, but to be people, a community, connected to one another who know our God together. Let's ask for God's grace and mercy for all of us. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you hear our prayers. We thank you that when we feel weak and powerless and we don't have any of the answers like Daniel when he prayed to you in this passage, that you come near and you remind us that you hear us and we are loved by you. And I pray for us as a church community as we enter into this future together. We don't know where we are headed. We don't even fully know where we are. But I pray that you would give us great clarity. That even when we don't have the answers to those questions, that we would be able to stand firm in what you've given us here in your word. That we would press hard and deeply into knowing you. That you would refine us. That you would reveal to us ways that our faith needs to be refined, and that we would be more and more and more the people who know you are God. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.